welcome to Crafts and Crime. I'm Amy. I'm Elaine. So this week we have a craft and a crime. Finally. Yeah. I don't like someone's actually prepared. <laughs> yeah. It won't so, ever be me. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um so yeah, this week we've been catching up on some stuff, but we have a lot of fun stuff happening around here. Not the busy sweet. homestead. Yeah, we have inner city homesteads. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, we have like caterpillars turning into butterflies. And I have fresh caterpillars. Yeah, you just got yours. We both mm-hmm. have. They're painted ladies. Yeah, I didn't know what that was. And then Elaine knows all the bug stuff. Because <laughs> she was like, oh, that one's a girl. And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> you know, most butterflies and moths are female because their thorax, which is their abdom- abdominal, abdominal area, is round and fat. Mm-hmm. And the bottom end is quite round. And in a boy, it's going to be shorter and it's pointy shaped because it's pointy. Yeah. I had no, I had no so, idea. So yeah, that's pretty. It's not on like a 100% guarantee, but it's a pretty good one. Yeah. So I didn't even look at the others. We had like a few and the kids, I let the kids let them go because they mm-hmm. came running in. And they were like, we have butterflies in the net. The one I saw last night on the side of my garage was for sure a boy. Mm. So maybe we have a pair at least somewhere hovering around our backyards. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. And oh, then wait, the crinkle wing one was oh, the girl. Yeah, that was. It yeah, didn't like, make it. Yeah. Thanks to my kids. All rough. <laughs> I know. That's what happens when you have a five-year-old and a three-year-old playing with ba- butterflies. But it wasn't going to make it anyways. It was like No, it deformed. couldn't fly. No. And then we have a ton of the praying mantis because like we both <laughs> got, what, six Uthakas? Mm-hmm which is like the egg thing. And so it like comes with a little bag. with A little coffee grounds bag. Yeah. With but a clear it, window. Exactly. <laughs> so you could like see in there. And it's weird because it'll be like over, I guess, weeks. It could take like weeks for them all to come out. Especially if we had them much earlier in the season, we mm-hmm. would have been waiting. We got them at the perfect time because had we got them like January, February, they we would have been waiting months. Exactly. But it's literally the time they're hatching because it's yeah. nice and warm. Oh, yeah. It's like so warm here right now. So they're like, we're coming out. And so, yeah, I like woke up in the morning and there was nothing because you check every day. And then I came back like maybe an hour later and there was like 50 of them. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we need yeah, to let them they out. happen really fast. Mm-hmm. And they're so tiny. I, when they're crawling on your hands, it's almost like nothing. Like it feels like nothing. It literally feels like the... The dandelion weed, like the yes! little puffer thingy, and you blow yes, it. It's like yes. so tiny. Like, yeah. So they don't want to come out of the bag. So you're like, stick your hand in there, and they crawl all over, <laughs> and you can't even feel them. They're so tiny. So it's been a lot of bug stuff around My here. My favorite stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's Elaine's favorite. I- I'm coming around. I'm-, I'm okay with like your mealworms <laughs> and stuff and the beetles. Just don't show me the cockroaches. <laughs> Oh, I love them. The mommies are such good mommies. Oh, I just can't. They stay with their babies and they keep them warm and they don't feed them, but the babies will always run right back underneath her and Mm. she lays on them. That sounds cute. It's very cute. The babies are so tiny. Yeah. I know. So that's a lot of bug stuff around here. And and then, unfortunately, we got our (laughs) fence fixed. Yep. Joe came and fixed it. What did you call him again? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it wasn't he, it his was, name. No, no, no. His name is Joe, and he reminded me so much of the man that plays Gordon on Sesame Street. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, and so every time I saw him, I just heard Elma going, Mr. Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the nicest dude, and he worked so fast. I mean, yeah. it was crazy how fast it was. 
And he's got a good singing voice. Yep. He was super nice and super yeah. friendly and really nice about the kids and the dogs and mm-hmm. got it done super fast, but and now Harrison. we can't go through <laughs> anymore. Yeah. And the kids. So that's a bit. Yeah. It's like a, We're getting our steps in though. I know. Now we got to go like around next door to the front door. All the damn doors. I know. Like uh, before we just like walk through a hole in the fence. It's yeah. like, hey, like wait, I just show up in a garage like, hey, hey, <laughs> you hanging like, out? What's up? It's quiet. <laughs> yeah. So now we can't do that. Our fence is fixed, which is good. I mean, it needed to be fixed because my dogs kept going in your yard <laughs> and my kids. And so, you know, they're annoying. So now it's all fixed and we got to walk around. And I was like, oh, no. Now the neighbors know I'm still wearing the same outfit from yesterday. <laughs> but I was like, but I showered. I <laughs> it's clean. But yeah, so we're getting in our steps. There's, you know, it is what it is. So we, um, yeah, we had to go through the, well, we had the gate open. Yeah, like, that around made the gate, it So that made it a little easier when stuff was getting done. But anyway, so moving on to crafts. I actually have a craft and I'm so excited to talk about it because it's one of my favorite things. It is bread. Mm-hmm. When I told Elaine, I'm like, I'm talking about bread. And it's so I've been making bread for a while. Um, I'm smiling so much. My face hurt. I know. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, my cheeks <laughs> hurt. And now we're going to talk about bread. So I'm going to be really smiling. So anyways, I did some research on bread other than like, you know, I used to, well, you remember, what was it? The, the sweet Amish sweet, Amish sweet bread. bread. It just has so much sugar in it. And, but yeah, that's. <laughs> it's my favorite that you make. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is bad for you. That's why it's so good. Of course, all the bad stuff is the best. So anyways, did you know that bread is older than metal? Like forged metal, like mm. metal work? That doesn't surprise me, but that's very cool. Yeah. So the oldest bread was made in or around 8,000 BC in Egypt. The climate in Egypt is like really warm, kind of like here. So it's <laughs> perfect for creating sourdough because obviously you need heat to help, oh, yeah. you know, ferment yeah, yeah. stuff. Uh, and the Egyptians were also making beer at this time. And oh, yeah. beer and bread both need fermentation. So... Um, the use of leavening, which is something in the dough that is used to help make it rise, such as yeast, which now a lot of, you know, people just use yeast. Um, you could just get it at Costco, which I do. And, and you um, keep it in the fridge, right? Because mm-hmm. it's I keep a, quote unquote, it's alive. alive. Yeah. I don't know if you need to keep it in the fridge, but I keep mine in the fridge because I feel like it would last longer. Mm-hmm. And so I have it in a little mason jar, a little big mason jar. Um, baking powder is also something used like for leavening. It helps rise. Like think about your muffins and stuff and cake. Um, so leavening was discovered and recorded by the Egyptians. And the proof of this was found in ancient paintings depicting bread making. But the oldest loaf, actual physical loaf found was in Switzerland and it dated back all the way to 3500 BC. Everyone loves bread. I'm telling you, it's like once you find something good, you're like, keep going. Uh, Like comfort food throughout the ages. I know, seriously. (laughs) So then like through the years, so I'm just going to like go through some history of like different cultures. So like in 600 BC, the Persians invented a windmill to help mill their grains. And I was like, like a regular wind, like in this windmill. Yeah. And it would help mill their grains. 
And as we know, living out in this area, Mexicans made the first stone ground corn tortillas around 100 BC. Mm-hmm. Every culture has a flatbread. And I think that's the yes. coolest thing. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it is. And that's what a lot of these are is a lot of them are flatbreads. Mm-hmm. And others were like sour, like loaves of bread. Mm-hmm. But every culture had a, their own type of bread. So um, in 1834, the steel roller mill was invented in Switzerland. And this mill rolled and broke open the grain instead of just crushing it. Like, you know, kind of mm-hmm. figure like metal, metal, met, motor and pestle. Yeah, yeah. Mortar and pestle. Mortar and pestle. Oh, Gosh. <laughs> but yeah, so instead of just like crushing mm-hmm. it, it would like roll it open. And so it would mm. separate the different parts of it. Um, it would separate the endosperm, which is the part of the seed that stores like food for the the growing plant okay and then um it also separates the germ and the bran and by the 20th century chemicals helped the bread become softer whiter and it helped the bread last longer as we know now like you can have a loaf of bread and you're like whoa this is like months old why is it still like that's <laughs> yes, why i'm like almost start making my own bread because i'm like this should not be sitting here for three months and not look moldy so there's a lot of chemicals in her you know, bread now, which a lot of people know. Um, so before commercial yeast was developed in the 19th century, all bread was sourdough because you so, had to have something to rise like, it. And also probably it helped preserve it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, in Germany, sourdough was the way bread was made until brewer's yeast was common in the 14 and 1500s. Mm. Once again, a connection to beer. So beer and bread. <laughs> Two of my favorite things. <laughs> So, going way back again, the Romans considered white bread to be higher quality, and the wealthy usually got this bread. And (laughs) then also in British medieval times, when bread making was in full effect, just like with the Romans, upper class got the white bread, and the Mm -hmm. lower class got like the darker, coarser breads like rye and bran. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do love a rye bread. That cheesecake Mm. factory one. You can like get it at like staters or whatever and it's like two skinny loaves and it's got Uh like the oats on the top and you just pop it in the oven oh is it similar to the one like the outback has like yes yeah like the dark bread i'm like i like the dark bread i know and it's healthier for you Mm -hmm. it really is (laughs) they were not constipated yeah it's not like that amish (laughs) (laughs) so so much sugar (laughs) but uh bread making has been obviously found throughout history all over the world so I might get some of these names wrong, like how to pronounce it, but I'm going to try my best. Okay. So the Sudanese made kisra. It's Mm K-I-S-R-A. So kisra, which is fermented dough made with, how do you say this? Sorghum? Yeah. Yeah, sorghum. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and then Ethiopians used wild yeast to make injera. And Mexicans make pool which is, I'm probably not even saying that right, which is a fermented corn drink. Oh, okay. So a lot of fermentation going on. But they would ferment their corn Mm -hmm. and drink it, I guess. In Ghana and Kenya, they use fermentation from their maize, corn, Mm -hmm. to make ogi. And in India, they make a breakfast cake called idli, I-D, what is that? I-D-L-I, idli. Mm. almost sounds like I'm saying Italy, but no, idli. Which is made with rice, beans, or chickpeas. And then in Turkey, they make bona, which is a fermented drink, kind of like in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fermented drink with wheat, maize, sorghum, or millet. Okay. 
And then in Nigeria, they ferment cassava to make gari or fufu. So a lot of names. Like, there's different breads all. Yeah, I totally know what fufu is. You do? I've never had it. But yeah, you, I've seen videos where it's like so gummy and stretchy. And so you grab oh, it with your fingers and yeah. like pinch off a little doughy. It's like, it's almost like if they let go of it, it's just going to sloop out of their hands. So they really I know what you're and, talking about. Yeah. I didn't look up. Like, there was I didn't just know. so like many. A, it's like a, a bread liquid pudding, it looks like. That makes sense. Is that it's what they like grab it and then like grab it with the meat and mm-hmm. stuff yeah. okay yeah i know now i know what fufu is even okay. though it was in my notes <laughs> so okay so on to like how do you make a sourdough okay and i know i've talked to you about sourdoughs but um it's pretty straightforward but i've never been able to keep mine alive so when you start you add equal parts of flour and water and then, like, you stir it a couple days, and then you feed it with more flour and water. Then, at some point, you have to, like, discard your starter. And you can use this in recipes like pancakes and crackers, which I've never done. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's a lot we of... will do it. I know. I'm going to do it. I was going to do crackers, but then I, I, was, I was tired. It's okay. <laughs> so, it's a lot. There's uh, So, there is a lot of feeding of the starter, and that's my what, pet bread seriously and that's why i'm like i can't keep this thing alive there's i gotta feed it too much and so there's like some points if you're starting from scratch you gotta like uh-huh. feed it twice a day yeah I'm like i barely feed myself twice a day like i gotta feed this thing i got kids to feed and dogs to feed and cats yeah. to feed, you know so yeah so anyways at some point you're gonna get like a doubling in size and that's like when you're getting the fermentation going mm-hmm. and that's when it's like ready to use um so it's essentially your yeast. It's your sourdough. It's it's what helps rise your bread. So um, wheat is more ideal than like just regular flour, I think, because it's just it has more gluten in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll help rise your starter. And I've noticed when I, I use like whole wheat, it mm-hmm. definitely helps. Um, so this is where the steel roller mill that I was talking about earlier that was invented that yeah. rolls it. Um, because it can help remove the part of the grain that can cause gluten sensitivity. So that's where you get a lot of your, like, gluten-free flours from. Mm -hmm. So in my sourdough adventures, I got, as you know, some dehydrated sourdough starter Mm -hmm. on Etsy. And one was called Black Death, (laughs) and the other was called Frontier. They're both from a shop like on Etsy called Zourdo with like a Z mm-hmm. and like whether or not they're really from that time period, it doesn't like matter to me. I just thought it was like, Oh, those sound cool. And yeah. like my mom was like, I don't know if I want something called black death in my house. <laughs> I was like, it's fine. But I kept them alive for a little while. And I even used the frontier to like make like two loaves. And it was really good. Although like Troy was insistent that, because he smelled the Black Death starter that he got sick from it. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't have disease in it. So anyways, the time went on. And as you know, I'm trying to keep my kids, my animals, my plants, <laughs> myself alive, trying to feed myself more than twice a day. And I killed my starters. And I know they're alive. And I was looking into it. And I probably could have saved the one that had the mold on it. But it scares me. I wouldn't so, have even risked it. I get it. It sucks. But, yeah. So I'm but like, like. 
mold is for real. It mm-hmm. makes me so sick. I know. most people know. <laughs> I know. And then I'm like, is that supposed to look like that? I don't know. So I was just like, well, I don't think it's for me. I can't. To give an example of what it looked like, it was like a fluffy, white, wrinkly beard. Yes. Right on the top, like a little wrinkly yeah. skin beard. It was scary looking. <laughs> and I was like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it yes. a wrinkly skin, skin beard. <laughs> yeah. I think a beard grows on your skin. Or out of your skin. I think I meant to say wrinkly skin. Oh. <laughs> skin beard. Uh, but yeah, it was creepy looking. And I was like, I don't, I don't want, I, I give up. Like, I can't mm. keep it alive. Yeah. So I dumped him. And yeah. But going back to when sourdough was in the hands of capable people <laughs> and they could actually keep alive. A lot was actually carried all across the United States. So explorers, this is like, you know, way back in the 1800s. So explorers in the United States Mm -hmm. were called sourdoughers because (laughs) they would keep the mother leavening, which is like your sourdough starter, Uh like on them, like on their body. So it wouldn't freeze. And I'm sure it helped because the body heat, it would help like, you know, a constant steady body Mm -hmm. temperature. Mm -hmm. And so... Because of this practice, you know, them carrying it across, you mm-hmm. know, the the whole country, um, San Francisco was mostly sourdough bread. And, you know, the Boudin Bakery um, is still using the original starter that has – and it, they've been producing it since, like, 1849. Oh, wow. And it's That's the same cool. thing. It's like when you go to Disneyland yeah. and they do, like, the whole tour thing and it's, like, the original mm-hmm. starter. Like, they have it. So, like, you can share the original starter. Keep it alive. Like, mm-hmm. don't ask me to do it. But, yeah. like – you could keep a sourdough alive for like centuries, I guess. So I have a couple fun facts. Ooh, okay. I love trivia. Just a couple. Okay. So the Great Fire of London in sixteen sixty six was reportedly started by a baker. Oh. So baking those loaves. Rude. <laughs> and then in medieval times, um, thick slices of bread were used instead of plates or bowls. Genius. So kind of like the bowl, <laughs> the soup bowl, yes. you know, like at Disneyland. Uh-huh. And they like, oh, the broccoli cheddar and the bread bowl. I actually watched the Fantasmic show eating a broccoli cheddar soup in a totally. bread bowl. Totally. Oh, my God. Oh, so I did as a kid, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you eat the bowl. Mm. And then you're so carbful. Like, it's, For sure. it's a lot. But, um, yeah, so... I'm really determined to get the sourdough thing down. So, mm-hmm. as you know, I recently got, it's called Carl Griffith's 1847 Oregon Trail Sourdough Starter. <laughs> That's the full name. Amazing. <laughs> so, here's a little bit about Carl Griffith. Um, he would give a starter to anyone who asked or anyone who sent him a self-addressed stamped envelope. And that's what I did. Um, you can find, like, the, you know, you just Google it and you can find the address and stuff on you know where to send it so anybody can do this yes anybody can do this and they send you a little dehydrated like baggie and you just they the instructions are online and you just follow the instructions so i was able to like get it going and it um yeah it started working so carl was born in burns oregon on september 4th 1919 and he was an only child he graduated from the University of Oregon School of Business Administration in 1947 and then the School of Law in 1950. He then practiced law and served in the Air Corps in England during World War II and then retired in 1970 as Lieutenant Colonel. He died on March 23, 2000 in Sequim, Washington. And um, so his starter came from the Oregon Trail. 
I love it. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's called the Oregon Trail, you know, sourdough starter. So for those who may not know, in the mid-1800s, the Oregon Trail was the main route for settlers, farmers, lumbermen, and prospectors. Hello, Gold Rush, (laughs) you know. Um, We live in California, so there's a lot of Oregon Trail and Gold Rush history that we obviously learned in school Mm -hmm. and basically any museum. I grew up in Oregon. I went to very many Oregon Trail museums mm-hmm. as our field trips yeah. <laughs> and forts. So, I bet. Yep. So, it's interesting. It I, is. I, it's very interesting. It really is. If you is. can understand the luxury of our life, it's intense. I know. And if you've ever played Oregon Trail as a kid on that little green, you know, little old computer, Ooh, green screen. Yeah. You died of dysentery. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was a highlight of the day. It's Those like radiation computer computers. Lab time. Yes, it's like computer lab time and you and go and you, you play. Yeah, now you understand why they only let you do it for 30 minutes. Yeah. They knew we were getting blasted with radiation. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we're not dying of radiation. We're dying of dysentery. <laughs> dysentery. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like the Natural History Museum, they have like a huge thing in their like gems and stones and stuff. There's a whole section on like mm. the gold rush, you yeah. know, and stuff. So, anyways, the trail started in Missouri, and then it went northwest for about 2,000 miles to Oregon, into the Oregon Territory. And then some went to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Others went to California. And, obviously, California was for the gold rush. That's Mm -hmm. where a lot of people came for that. Um, So, one of Carl's relatives traveled the Oregon Trail by wagon train in 1847 and brought the starter with them. I'm sure they probably put it on their body so they didn't mm-hmm. it didn't freeze and it's been kept alive by his family, him, and now multiple volunteers who continue to keep it alive and share it even after his death. So yeah, he's been gone since two thousand, but people are still sharing that original starter. And this is the only starter I've been able to keep alive. <laughs> I have not baked with it yet. Um it's in my fridge. Mm-hmm. It's not dead. Maybe I'll bake with it this weekend, but it's a little scary. So, um, so if you don't want to use sourdough, which like I've baked bread, but I can't do sourdough for some reason. Mm-hmm. So instead of using sourdough starter, you can use commercial yeast. Like I was saying, I have in my fridge, uh, I have a bread maker that I just like toss all the ingredients and turn on and it like does everything, which is nice. Um, so I do like sandwich loaves and stuff. I think you've had right yeah yeah i did it's very good and um but because it is preservative free it's pretty much dried out and done by the next day even if you don't put it in a bag and i think that's what people don't realize like loaves come out of the machine kind of small because it needs to be eaten that yeah you need to eat it like (laughs) right away yeah and even when I made it for my brother, he's like, man, it went moldy really fast. I'm like, yeah, because there's no preservatives it's in so it. It's so fresh. And like it's so moist and fluffy and beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is good. It's and I made good. banana bread in there. And that's a little, I, like, sometimes it's too moist and other times mm-hmm. it's, like, too dry. I love it if it's all fudgy as long as I know. It just <laughs> has cooks. to get hot for a little while so that the flour doesn't make you sick. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I'm going to share my favorite recipe that I make, and it's Yay! like Jack's favorite. It's everybody's favorite. It's from a cookbook called The New Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day. So I originally got it from the library, and then I bought it because I liked it. And so they have the master recipe, which is like an artisan-free form loaf. Mm-hmm. And so I have a big six-quart container. All you do is you just mix all the ingredients together. So the recipe is, for those of you who might want to write it down, it's three cups lukewarm water, one tablespoon yeast, one to one and a half tablespoons of kosher salt, 
and then six and a half cups flour. That's it. And then you just mix it all in mm-hmm. and you just cover it and let it rise for a couple hours. And then you like, you take the dough out like with floured hands. You put it on like, um, I usually use like a cutting board and form mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then you just let it sit for like 40 minutes or so. And then you preheat your oven. Like you put your skillet. So you could do like a, uh, what's it called? A pizza Pizza um, stone stone. or Mm -hmm. i just use cast iron pans and you preheat them like in the oven so it's like hot hot yeah and then when you take them out like when it's all ready you like flour the top of your dough your bread Uh and you score it like i have the little um like blade thingy yeah Yeah. and you just like do a couple deep like bread scalpel yeah whatever it's called (laughs) i don't know what it's called i don't know what it's called either (laughs) and here i'm talking about bread (laughs) but yeah you just like make your cuts in it Uh and then you could use like you can use parchment paper, but you have to mm-hmm. take it out from, like, under the bread at the last 10 minutes. So I just mm. sprinkle, like, cornmeal on it. And then you just, like, pop the loaves in and you bake it for, like, 30 to 35 minutes. And then take it out, put it on a cooling rack. And, oh, you should put, like, steam. Like, I have a loaf pan that I put, like, water in to kind of uh-huh. steam it to add, like, moisture. Oh. And it's so, it's the easiest thing. It's literally, like, mix it, leave it, form it, leave it, preheat think, it, yeah, and then I toss totally it in. I totally just had one of those loaves you made me. think like two weeks ago yeah and that's yeah because i brought it over and so crunchy on the outside yes it's so good oh Mm -hmm. like fresh butter on it but yeah it's like rustic that's like the way they've done it (laughs) yeah and so that's yeah when i brought it over that's when it was raining and we watched that storm come through and then we saw a double rainbow rainbow. yeah (laughs) that was fun and then we ate bread and we're all happy Yes. And so, now it's 90 degrees today. I know. It's so hot. It's really hot. We have like a heat wave coming through. And it's not even May. I know. And our trees are slacking. I know. See, if we had them all full, it would at least give some shade. It really but, would. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I was like, maybe I'll bake some bread today. And I'm like, I don't want to turn on my oven. It's very hot. It's really hot. <laughs> so anyways, but that's. I loved it. That's my bread stuff. Yeah. Oh, I learned I some stuff that. even researching. I was like, oh, cool. I have never, and I bake a lot, not now, I mm-hmm. used to, I have baked a lot, there we go, but I have never baked bread, never. I will teach you. And I, like, the closest, no, I, I thought of it no, for a second. you help me with the bread maker once. Oh my God, that does, okay, <laughs> come on now. But you did. Okay. Hey, I consider that making bread. You gotta, well, you gotta measure ingredients, put it in, and take, put it on the right setting. Okay, I forget things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot a whole loaf of bread in there for five days, oh, no. and then I opened it up and I was like, because I was gonna make bread, because I was like, man, I'm out of bread, and then I opened it up. I'm like, oh, oh no. I forgot. Was it like rock solid? Yes, it was so hard. <laughs> Could you even get it off the little pin thing? Yeah, I had to like flip it and then like the underside was all soft so we just yeah. kind of like poked our hands in and like got the soft center just and clawed it out yeah <laughs> it's just, yeah and then i was like oh we should probably throw it away it's been in there for five days I don't know. <sighs> so anyways yep i loved it now i want bread yeah I want bread and beer <laughs> it's friday here know, today we are recording and it is april 21st and mm. that is going to tie into my story today which is completely by coincidence yeah are you ready i am so ready okay i've been ready i'm gonna preface it by saying that this is pretty gross i mean of course crimes are always can be gross but mm-hmm. this is pretty disturbing and um so 
if you really don't like super graphic things or maybe it's not the time for this one. Hmm. So today, my case hits close to home because I grew up in Oregon Mm -hmm. and this is where this is all going to go to. Today, I'm talking about Jerome Brudos and he is also called the Foot Fetish Slayer. Ew. Okay, now I know why you're saying it's gross. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. I don't know this case. (laughs) Okay, so good old Jerry was born January 31st, 1939 in Webster, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. I bet it was freezing. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. It must have been so snowy. His mom's named Eileen. She's just a homemaker. His dad was a farmer. Uh, His dad was possibly an alcoholic, but that's kind of disputed. He had an older brother. They were he was three years old. His name was Larry. Mom did not want any more kids. Mm. She was already middle aged. She was done. But, you know, times as they were, she was gonna take it. And then it was a boy. Mm. She wanted a girl. A girl. It yeah. didn't matter they lived on a farm, you know. She wanted the girl. Yeah. You would think because you put the boys oh, to work. Yeah. Like I exactly. try to work all the time. <laughs> yeah, but she wanted a girl. Yeah. And this is exactly what people thought. Well, for what ever reason she decided to take this out on little jerry Mm. she abused him belittled him uh would make him dress up like a little girl because she wanted a little girl and so they say that studies have shown that boys who have really unhealthy bonds with their moms in later life can tend to show aggression and hostility Mm -hmm. it's kind of just you know it's hard so um in 1944, his family lives in Portland, Oregon, but just for a little while. He's five, and he's walking around playing like they used to let kids play. He's in a junkyard. He's five, oh right? Oh, my gosh. Let I him go never to- let I Lincoln know. do that. But I, I think the lack of care from his mother had something to do with that. Yeah. He finds a pair of high heels. Oh, my god! And he's like, oh, look at these. These are totally fun. It's completely innocent. He's a child. Mm-hmm. He's playing in shoes. Probably maybe his mom has some. He takes them home. He walks home. He's playing with them. His mom finally finds them, and she beats the living hell out of him with these shoes, mm. calls him horrible names that I can only imagine, mm-hmm. and then she burns them in front of him. Okay. And so it immediately makes shoes, like, dirty and naughty and gross and taboo for him. Mm-hmm. And now he is, like really wanting shoes he's only five so he's still a child something weird here is happening very early yeah and i'm trying to think of like lincoln you know he's, <laughs> yeah. he's five and i'm just like oh he walks around with daddy's shoes on all the oh, time totally. and i'm just like uh, but i would never wow yeah and, and he's still just little it's crazy so but... wait so she would dress him up like a little girl but not let him and, walk around like, in girls harass shoes? him i think she would oh, torture to, him oh, with i'm gonna okay. make you or oh. she would do it like as a threat to make oh, him embarrassed that makes more sense okay. yeah so um They've moved again. They move a lot because his they're farmers. They got to move where mm-hmm. the best place would be. They are living in Riverton, California. He's in first grade. His teacher, she has two pairs of shoes behind her desk. You know, your feet hurt. You want to swap them mm-hmm. out, whatever. And he decides he's going to steal them. Oh, now, he's still only six years old. Mm-hmm. And I'm there's not a lot of information, but pretty much sounds like he snuck them, tucked them in his desk, and a classmate saw and told the teacher. Mm-hmm. So the teacher drags him in the front of class and makes him tell everyone what he did. So, so she not only is his mom doing exactly. this, but his teacher now? now his teacher, you know. And it sucks because it's only 1945. There's mm-hmm. nobody. Children, be quiet, you know. So 
So he's embarrassed. He's mortified, of course. And he leaves the classroom. And of course, his mom finds out. And he, so he's beaten mm-hmm. again at home. It's a continuating thing. This is pretty much all that happens at that point. He gets to second grade. And he fails second grade. He's a really chronically ill kid at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, like, laryngitis. He has measles. He has, like, swollen glands all the time. And this isn't, like, the 30s, right? Um, at or this 30s point, or 40s? it's about 1946 Oh, oh okay. But oh, yeah, still, right. there wasn't yeah. a lot. Um, I don't even think penicillin was invented yet, mm. which is crazy to think about that. Yeah. And um, he also used to miss a lot of school because he used to have to have surgeries to get fungal infections taken care of there's Mm -hmm. no information on what that exactly means but i'm guessing like trench foot kind of maybe maybe. i have no idea um it doesn't say and that's kind of a bummer but then he starts developing really horrific headaches a six-year-old like migraines and he says that he can't see they're causing him to lose his vision Mm -hmm. so they send him to the ophthalmologist and they do the tests and everything and there's literally nothing wrong Mm -hmm. so um, they give him what they call a thin prescription, like placebo glasses, hoping maybe it'll give him the confidence oh, to be able like, to see better. Oh, like, oh, I have glasses. I could see now. Exactly. It doesn't help at mm-hmm. all. His grades don't get better. Nothing changes. Um, they kept moving around Southern Oregon, and they settle a little bit when he is 12. And um, he starts going to his neighbor's house. Because he plays with the little boys next door. Mm-hmm. But that b- boy has an older sister. I knew it. And so he starts playing with her shoes. Oh, you know? gosh. <laughs> and then he finds her bras and her oh. underwear. And he's like, okay, I totally love these. And But he leaves them there. He doesn't steal anything mm-hmm. probably because, you know, he knows the person. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets just a smidgen older, he's like 13 or so. His older brother, who's 16, has a little box of dirty business, you know. Mm-hmm. Jerry picks the lock, busts it open, has the material, mm-hmm. and his mom catches him. And now this woman is like, I mean, it was the times, but this woman is next level, like sex is the devil. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, so he gets the crap beat out of him but he loves his brother he takes the fall it's his stuff you know and um he now is starting to go through puberty as boys do Mm -hmm. and she continues to humiliate him by beating the shit out of him every time he has a nocturnal emission and then she makes him wash his sheets by hand outside oh my gosh so So, like like, that's that's women's work and now he's washing his semen out of the and he's only 13 14 yeah it's really sad so it's like not just like here just let me toss it in the wash or whatever right you know but or even wash them yourselves like Mm -hmm. yeah so it was it was really terrible so he just he hates her and Mm -hmm. it sucks and he's getting older they move again they move to Corvallis, Oregon, and he's 16 years old now, so that makes his brother Larry about 19. They move okay. there so that he can go to OSU. Go Beavers. <laughs> <laughs> so, because um, he's studying electronics. Oh, okay. Now, Jerry starts stealing bras and underwears off of clotheslines of people. Oh, just hanging up their his, wash. Mm-hmm, yeah, hanging mm-hmm. up their wash. And uh some of these are like close by neighbors some of them are all the way down the street a couple blocks over so mm-hmm. everybody knows there is someone stealing bras and underwear but the problem is that nobody knows who's doing it it's not like people have cameras no mm-hmm. ring doorbells so um so he keeps stealing stuff but he's using them for 
masturbation. Yeah, so he's using these for sexual reasons Mm -hmm. because they're still something he's been attached to for several Mm -hmm. years now. And there's a girl that he likes quite a lot in later in that summer. And he decides he likes her underwear. He's stealing her underwear. And he's coming up with a plan now to get her naked so he can take pictures of her. And so he tells her, hey, I totally know I can help you get your stuff back. Come over to my house. Mm. Um, and so he stole. I exactly right. So <laughs> she's know how to like, get it okay, back. he's gonna help me. So mm-hmm. she comes over to the house, and she shows up, and she's like dragged into the house by a man wearing a mask and then has a knife, and he threatens to kill her if she doesn't take off her clothes. And so um, she is forcibly, you know, made to get undressed, and then the man takes pictures of her mm-hmm. and then leaves, runs out the front door. And so she takes her moment and she gets stressed and she quickly leaves. And as she's leaving, Jerome is at the door and he says, oh, my God, I totally saw the guy. He went that way. I was in the bar and I saw everything. What kind of sense does that make? You're not going to rush in and help this girl. Like right as it happens. For sure. I'm so, sure it wasn't like a two second encounter. Exactly. It took some time for mm-hmm. this to happen. And she does totally see through his bullshit. And mm-hmm. she tells the police. But. There's no evidence. There's, you know, mm-hmm. there's nobody knows. Nobody saw anything. They can't put him to it. So that's all that happens with that. Nothing happens between this and the next year. It's not even a full year later. So he's mm-hmm. 17 now. And he convinces a girl to get in the car. Like, let's go. And he drives her to an abandoned farmhouse where he completely just starts wailing on her oh, no. to the point that when someone is a couple is driving by. Mm-hmm. They can see and hear what's going on. And they go in and he does the same thing as before. I totally saw what happened. No, no, no. I didn't do anything. I was trying to help her, what? you know. Nobody falls for that. Yeah. And um, because of what they think they go to, they're able to go to his house to mm-hmm. get a search warrant. And... They now find all the stolen underwear, the shoes, and pictures of the girl oh, that yeah. he took. Because, of course, he kept it. It's yeah. only been a year. So he's found guilty, and he's sentenced to Oregon State Hospital, which is in Salem, Oregon. And mm. it's super close to downtown. So, like, he's just mental. He needs help? Yeah, because like... he's only 17. Oh, true. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so he's sent there. And on April 16th, 1956, while he's there... He is diagnosed with adjustment reaction of adolescent with sexual deviation, fetishism, and schizophrenic tendencies. Mm. Schizophrenia was always used as yeah, something. Yeah, I was back like, then. that's kind of the blanket term mm-hmm. for a lot of mental it illnesses was at just, the time. Exactly. Yeah, and then the rest of it is pretty much he's not adjusting to puberty and hormones, and it's turning him into a violent pervert, mm-hmm. which is like okay. At the time when he was there, he used to talk to doctors about his fantasy of chopping up women mm-hmm. and posing them in whatever way he found sexually gratifying Ew. in his freezer. Ew. But, you know, he talked through it and they were talking about it. That's what they find to be important is he was sharing. Okay. This is so crazy to me. He's allowed to finish high school while he's in the what? hospital. They let him leave. He goes to North Salem High School in Dallas, Oregon. They let him leave and come back after come school. Come back after school. Right. What he's a violent hell? offender. Yeah. And they let him leave. Nothing happens. Thank goodness. But mm-hmm. I still find that so crazy. Um, 
he's there for eight and a half months. That's a pretty mm-hmm. decent amount of time. And they say he's fine. He's better. He's 18 years old now. They release him. And he goes back to high school in Corvallis, where his family lives. And he graduates pretty much at the bottom of his class at, like, 142 out of 202 students. Oh, wow. So, like, very bottom. Yeah, exactly. And well, he doesn't sound very smart considering the excuses he comes up <laughs> Right, with. exactly. I saw the whole I, thing. I saw the whole thing. <laughs> um, right after high school, between the ages of 18 and 20, he tried out a bunch of different vocations, vocational school, tried some college at OSU, um, but he couldn't focus between his fantasies and just um, his mental health in general. Mm-hmm. And so he would quit all those things. He joined the army. He figured, well, mm. I can get away from home, get away from my mom, get away from my troubles and my past. Mm-hmm. And so he leaves and he ends up doing basic in Fort Gordon in Georgia and comes back here and he's stationed. He's still really troubled, super unfocused, and he's really struggling. And on October 15th, 1959, he talks to the army, army chaplain. If anybody doesn't know what that is, it's um, like a priest, you know. Oh, okay. Like a pastor. I didn't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like a pastor, a priest, but it's a non-denominational kind of oh, thing. okay. And um, I believe they also have, like, counseling degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, so he refers him to army psychiatrist Captain Theodore Barry. He talks to Dr. Barry about the fantasies that he's going through, which actually at this time isn't super crazy. He just has this fantasy of a... Like a Korean woman. It was oh, really nondescript. So it's yeah. not chopping up. Not yet. Anymore. No. But whatever he said, good old Dr. Teddy immediately the same day medically discharged him. Oh. And on his record, it stated for just bizarre obsessions. So that kind of discharge, it's not good. It's not bad. It just mm-hmm. is. It's whatever. Yeah. So it doesn't look bad. There's nothing on his record that doesn't really make it look bad. Uh-huh. Later in that fall, he moves home because he's done. His mom is obviously mortified she's already ashamed she hates him already she makes him live in a shed what yeah so he's only 20 he's yeah about 20 now okay and so he's living in the shed and he's miserable mm-hmm. and she keeps him there and for like a year he's 21 sees this lady walking down the street do duty sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> and he likes her shoes that's what he oh, sees he likes her shoes of course and so he follows her home strangles her till she passes out just to steal her shoes what yes oh my god and he runs home and he cuddles them to sleep in his shed what yeah just yep. for choked shoes? her out just for her what? shoes yep psycho <laughs> exactly yeah could you imagine them knowing like all he wanted was my shoes was your, and you're lucky you're alive yeah you never like, I almost know. died and over went, pretty over shoes, shoes I, ch- I got choked out oh for my shoes oh my gosh yeah and he keeps these shoes for a while as long as he can and he cuddles mm-hmm. with them and the very same year, he's 21, he gets his FCC license. I looked this up. You have to have an FCC license to work in a radio station, anybody, oh. because it's like federal airwaves. So oh. you have to know what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. So he gets that license and he gets a job at a radio station. I could not find what it is. Mm. If anyone finds it, let us know. Mm-hmm. I really couldn't. And he meets 17-year-old Darcy Metzler. Okay. And they start dating. He's what, 20? 21. 21. Mm-hmm. Okay, 21. She's so 17. Okay. She's already getting, she's a spinster at this point. Oh, I know. Just kidding. <laughs> and um, her parents hate him. They don't really know why they hate him, but they just hate him. They don't like mm-hmm. him. Just so, off what do you vibe. think she did? She, she falls in love away. and they get married in oh, three oh my, months. Did she run away? <laughs> no. With him? But she still married him. Oh, wow. And in their honeymoon period, 
He forces Darcy to cook and clean naked wearing the high heels <gasps> um, and only high heels. It doesn't specify if they're from that girl or some other person that they stole, oh. but probably. Probably. Like, and she thinks this is like, she doesn't love it. She feels very pushed into it, but she does it because she loves him and like, oh, we're just know. young. They're yeah, young. Young and married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But he takes pictures of her all over the house constantly. Mm-hmm. She doesn't love it and she just puts up with it. Yeah. Um, It's now 1962. He's 23 and he is now a dad. He has a daughter uh. and her name is Megan. And they're moving all up and down the West Coast because mm-hmm. they he can't keep a job. Yeah. Because he sucks. He's, <laughs> he's, yeah. like he's a psycho. He can't stay focused. And he cannot keep a job yeah. no matter what happens. And yeah. then they move again. They're they're moving around for like three years. It's 65. And he gets a job at Salem Electronics. And, of course, he quits. And they freaking move again. Mm-hmm. They finally settle down for a little bit in Portland. He has a job as an electrician. But now these migraines come back. Oh. Oh, I forgot And Yeah. And they come back. But now he's saying, like, they're so excruciatingly painful that they're causing him to black out. Mm. Mm. He would go on what I just, I'm like, they're panty raids. They're gross panty raids. He breaks into houses. Nobody's home. And he just steals their under things and then leaves. And he does it all the time um, to help. Like it's uh, we kind of become, you know, it's a compulsion. It's like oh, yeah, it's an, an obsessive obsession. compulsive thing because mm-hmm. he has to do it to stop his feelings, mm-hmm. stealing panties and stuff. He started to completely cross dress now in private. Oh, bra, wigs, dress, whole thing. And um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But this is what he is now doing. And in public, he's wearing bras and panties under his clothes. Little lady <gasps> stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. OK. At 28, Darcy's pregnant again. But oh, she is gosh. so sick of his shit. Mm-hmm. She does not let him in the birthing room. They pretty much don't even speak anymore. Oh, really? And so he's really, really upset by this because he loves them, mm-hmm. you know, and he loves them. And so he's really upset by this. And this stress leads him to doing more and more of these like panty stealing. Mm-hmm. He says that after the birth of his son, he started stalking a woman downtown and he loved her shoes and he broke into her house when she was asleep and he strangles her and he sexually assaults her and then throws her <gasps> shoe. So this is the first time that he he's says like he did taking this. Yeah. it to another mm-hmm. level. Oh, no. So at this time in the area, women are starting to go missing. January 26, 1968, 19-year-old Linda Slauson is selling encyclopedias door to door and um, I do not even think she was from the area and she's missing. Mm. July 1968, Stephanie Vico goes missing in Portland, Oregon. Mm. We're just moving on. Months are happening. Nothing's happening. He's mm-hmm. still doing these panty raids and his wife, they don't even speak. Like they literally yeah. don't talk. He spends his entire time living in their basement garage and she's not allowed to go down there Mm. and she hates him so much at this point she's like good nope whatever keep away from me and if she needs to speak to him there's an intercom what the door is locked and there's an intercom she has to buzz the bell (laughs) right now so i know november 26 1968 23 year old u of o student jan whitney goes missing after driving home from thanksgiving and her car is found locked and abandoned at a rest stop. March 27th or 28th, 
18-year-old OSU student Karen Sprinker is going shopping downtown at the Salem Center Mall, and she goes missing, and they find her car, same thing, locked and abandoned in the parking garage. Mm -hmm. Um, During the investigation, trying to look for her and, you know, gathering her car, two teenagers recall to the police seeing a large man dressed in women's clothing just Mm. lurking around the top, the roof Mm -hmm. area. I totally know where that is because as a teenager, I used to sit on the top and dangle my legs off the side. Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, you don't care. You're being dumb. Yeah, I could never. (laughs) Okay. Here's where this is super weird. On the day of recording, it is April 21st. Okay. April 21st, 1969, 24-year-old Sharon Wood is attacked by a man who beats her unconscious, but a car drives by, like, right as it's happening. He freaks out and she's... She lives. She tells police that she bit him on the thumb until it was bleeding. So she got she got them. Good. And but then she was beaten. And so she can't she has no remember. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So and at this point, there's no connection made in these disappearances. You know, they're one month apart and then before they were about four months apart. There nobody is connecting anything. They're college kids. They yeah dropped out of school maybe. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. you never know. They're all young women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They went hitchhiking. Who knows? People did that all the time back then. The very next day, April twenty second, fifteen year old Leanne Brumley is walking downtown Salem near Parish Middle School. I totally can see exactly where that is in my head. Mm-hmm. And a man drives up in a green Volkswagen Carmen Ghia, which is a pretty cool car at the time. Okay. And he tries to pull her into the car and she flails and screams and a neighbor hears this and comes outside and he takes yeah, off. Takes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, her family, they do, you know, they tell as much as they can to the police. This is reported, but again, just a creep. It's mm-hmm. whatever. And so they take the information that they can, but that's all. And April 23rd, Linda Saley disappears while shopping at the Salem Center Mall. That mall's popping. And Mm -hmm. she went to go buy a present for her boyfriend. So people know she, that's not a, it's not going to be a long thing. Mm -hmm. Her car, just like Karen's, is found abandoned in the parking structure. And the vehicles are always locked. Yeah. So it's it's like they never made it to their car. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And police are now considering that maybe there is something going on. This is connected. Do Mm -hmm. we have a serial killer? May 10th. This is still, you know, 1969. Mm -hmm. May 10th. A man is fishing on the Long Tom River. And he sees something floating really close to the shoreline. I was just going to ask, when do the bodies start showing up? Because all these women are Mm -hmm. missing. And, oh, no. Yeah. Okay. And he gets closer to it. And he sees that it's a naked woman. Mm. He immediately leaves and he, no cell phones, has to yeah. drive to a gas station to use a payphone yeah. to tell police mm-hmm. what he found. The police remove the body and they see that it's tied up using really interesting knots with nylon rope and copper wire. And oh. she's weighted down to a car transmission. Oh, wow. And the body is identified as Linda Saley. Mm. Police immediately are worried and they send dive teams and boats to start dredging Mm -hmm. the area, Mm -hmm. to start dredging the area. They find another body, like almost immediately, Mm -hmm. only 50 feet away from where Linda's body was found. But this one's completely submerged. The body's tied exactly the same way. With the copper wire and everything. The copper wire, the nylon, and this time it's tied to a car engine. 
oh my gosh those are heavy <laughs> i know right and that's what they're they're wondering like oh my god how does somebody do this exactly Cars were kind of small back then uh-huh. so when they completely remove this body from the water they find both of her breasts are cut off and the open wounded area is stuffed with brown paper towels and there's a bra on what? over it what yeah and they identify this body as the missing Karen Sprinker. Mm. Police are starting to see a pattern of these young college girls. Mm-hmm. And they start staking out places where girls would hang out. You know, colleges, the mall, mm-hmm. coffee shops. Mm-hmm. They're interviewing a girl at OSU, Oregon State University. And the police are now being told by several different women there's a weirdo calling the dorms saying he's a lonely Vietnam veteran what? trying to get a date. My dad was actually in Vietnam when this was happening. What? So that's really crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what he's saying. And so this girl, she accepts. What? She accepts. And so she's telling the police, I went on this date with him and he's immediately really weird. He's talking about yeah. the dead girls they're finding what? in the river. Like too on your, excitedly like, first date, on like... your blind date. And then he talks about how he would like to strangle her, maybe. Oh, I'm out. I'd be and like, so no. she tells the police yeah. this. And she t- she gives them the description of Jerome Brudos. Mm-hmm. So Jerry keeps trying to call her. It's around May 25th, 26th. And he keeps calling. He keeps mm-hmm. calling. She tells the police, this guy's calling me. They say, set it up. Oh. And so using her as like bait to mm-hmm. like get him. So, yep, she accepts the date. And when Jerome shows up at the residence hall, which I'm guessing is like the lobby of your dorm, mm-hmm. there's cops. And so, you know, they just want to talk. They just uh-huh. want to chit chat a little bit. And they believe what he has to say. You know, he's a married man. He's an electrician now. You know, he's doing all these things. He's good. Mm-hmm. So. A married man just trying to hook up with the college uh-huh, I know, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So he ends up, he ends up tipping, like they have a gross feeling. And mm-hmm. so they check his background. They check his background and see his violent crimes. Because back then, oh, yeah. your record wasn't expunged as a child. It is now. But yeah. it wasn't back then. Yeah. And so they are really interested. Well, so they're yeah. able to go to his house. They're just, just to talk again. Oh, in his basement. And he lets them in. Is he thinking that they're just... I guess like, so. Talk. He... Want to talk about her? I don't... They don't know. He oh, doesn't... Because he's so arrogant yeah i was like he's probably got it in mm-hmm. his head like i've gotten away with it for yes, all these years exactly. all, the, yeah, all this time gonna, yeah so because he doesn't interfere you know they're just walking around the house and they see some weird stuff uh he is got some nylon rope some copper electrical wire from his electrician co- job it. and there's a lot of pictures of women in the missing... these underwear oh my and gosh some of them maybe don't look alive Oh, my gosh. But they she could be sleeping, right? Yeah. So the problem is they're going to start building a case. It's not illegal to have rope and wire and pictures of half-naked ladies. Um, unless they're the dead women. They have a feeling. They contact the family of Leanne Blumley, the girl oh, that was no, almost would... kidnapped. Okay. 
and they give her a lineup of photographs. Pick out the man. And she positively identifies Jerome Brutus oh, as I the bet. man who yeah. tried to kidnap her. So now Oregon State Police have obtained a warrant for his arrest for the abduction, the attempted abduction, because it's what they can start with. It's what they legally can start with. Okay. He tries to run. Of course he does. He doesn't go far. They catch him. And while he's in jail, they haven't even started anything. They're kind of interviewing, trying to see, you know, did you, did you try to abduct this girl? Mm -hmm. He's calling his wife, Darcy, trying to get her to burn clothing. To burn items in the house. And she tells like the police. Like to hide evidence. Yep. And she says, hell no, don't call me again. Yeah. And she she tells the police yeah. that they're trying to. I was to- just so afraid. When you were talking about the pictures, I thought you were going to say that they were going to ask, like, the victims, like, oh, my the goodness. missing girls, oh, like, goodness. is this your no. daughter or whatever? Oh, That would be terrible. I'm like, but yeah, all the pieces are starting to mm-hmm. fall into place now yep. that. Oh, and now he's trying to get rid of evidence. Now he's what? trying to get rid of oh, evidence. So he, they're trying to hurry. You know, they yeah. don't know. Does Jerry have friends that might do this for him? Oh, yeah. Because, of course, the neighbors loved him. He was such a good guy. Quiet, mm-hmm. kept himself. Mm. Mm-hmm. During their executed search warrant, police are now in his basement workshop. Oh. They find tons more photos. Severed limbs of fo- <gasps> photos what? of limbs. And so he carried out his fantasy of him posing with dead women, missing feet, dressed up like dolls in bras and underwear. And there's a picture of just a severed foot wearing a high heel. They find paperweights molded from breasts. Oh, my gosh. So they find the (laughs) copper wire and the rope have the exact same tool markings. Of course they do. As the tool that is yeah. also currently in his basement. Oh, yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> those intricate knots used to tie up the victims, mm-hmm. those are not specific to Jerome's job as an electrician. Oh. And this is what helps seal the deal. They I was going to say, is it like military or like, okay, electrician. so electrician. So now with this irrefutable evidence, he confesses. So now we're going to detail these murders. Okay. Linda Slauson is selling encyclopedias door to door. And she does have samples of a few books. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to see the book boards and the pages. They want to feel it. They're heavy. He says, why don't you come in my house? You can set those down. I'm totally going to buy a set for you. My children uh, uh, yeah. could use them for school. Oh, wow. She goes downstairs and he beats her over the head with a two by four. He strangles her to death and he plays dress up with her body. And he... Cuts off the foot, puts his favorite high heel from his collection, and he uses it for masturbation. Oh, my gosh. He puts it in the freezer, and he keeps her body for a day or two. He doesn't really specify that. And then he Mm -hmm. puts it in his trunk, and he takes the foot as well because the foot started to rot. Yeah. So all he has now is a picture. And he dumps her body in the river. Okay. And her body has never been found. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, no. And unfortunately, just a picture of a foot doesn't equal a dead person. Exactly. So Jan Whitney, her car broke down driving home from Thanksgiving. Mm. She's on the I-5 freeway between Salem and Albany, which is crazy because I know yeah, where that is. exactly. And her car started to break down and she managed to make it into a rest stop is what they're thinking because mm-hmm. that's where her car is found abandoned. You know, mm-hmm. starts sputtering, you drive off. Yeah. He drives up with his truck. He says, hey, I'll totally help you out. Get in the truck and we'll take you to a payphone or my house and we'll help you get a tow truck. Mm-hmm. 
the moment she gets in his car, he strangles her with a leather strap and he assaults her corpse in his car, in his truck. Oh, my God. Then he takes her home and he keeps her body hoisted from a pulley in the garage, hanging up from her neck. And he continues to use her body for days. Oh, my gosh. He cut off her breast and he made a mold of it and what? cast it in resin. So this like yeah, a breast yeah. mold on his table just had left it there. What? And then he tied her body to a railroad iron and he threw her in the river. Oh. Karen Sprinker. Dressed in full women's clothing, mm-hmm. he held her at gunpoint, took her home. He raped her while she was alive mm-hmm. and then forced her to play dress up. And there's pictures of that and that he took because he, mm-hmm. wow. he was a, he was proud of his pictures. He thought yeah. he was like an Ew. artist. Mm-hmm. So then he hangs her from the neck from the pulley and he strangles her mm-hmm. to death that way. And he continues to assault her corpse um, for days. But this time he cuts off both of her breasts. He's stuffed them with brown paper towels, put his favorite bra from his collection onto mm-hmm. her. And he did what he wanted for several days. Oh, okay. <laughs> right after this murder, he's telling the cops the family was out of the house and a drunk driver had crashed into their home and garage, busted it wide open. The cops show up. If they had just looked in, oh the insanity gosh. they would have seen. On top oh, of the fact, it's been days. And oh there God. was a smell coming from the yard. And if they had just investigated a little bit, they would have found Isn't her. Isn't that so mm-hmm. awful how they were often just that away. happens? Yep. And, and he told them just nonchalantly after talking about this, he's like, oh, it was real close. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. And that it, made like, him feel, can like, you imagine? They're not going to get away from, with anything. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's kind of like it reminds me of J.C. Dugard, where she was just right there. If they would have just looked a little further, oh, they would have the found her. In yes. like the tents. Yes, it's, it's like so right there. And so, mm-hmm. oh, man. It really is. Like, if you smell something rotten, go look. I know. And you would think, like, wouldn't they know that mm-hmm. smell? I know. With Linda Saley, he impersonated a police officer. He said he had a badge and kind of, you know, showed the gun and got her trust. But he didn't say what he, how he managed to convince her. But he mm-hmm. leads her to his car and um, he beats her unconscious there and he takes her to his garage and he does the same thing. He suspends her from the neck by that pulley and he strangles her to death. He tortures them by lifting them yeah. and he does this. Yeah. And he assaults her body afterwards. You know, he does this for mm-hmm. days, but he said he didn't want to cut her breasts because they, they were too pink. Uh. And so instead he decided because she had weird burns on her. He said that he had hooked her up to jumper cables after she was dead to try to electrocute her body. I just wanted to see if she would jump around. It didn't work. Oh, my God. Yep. He ties her body up in the same fashion, ties her to a car transmission, and he dumps her into the river. So on June 4th, you know, all of this is happening really fast. Yeah, back to back. Back to back. And they are not messing around back then. So... From May 25th and 26th, when he's finally caught, to June 4th, he's 30. 
Jerome Brudos is arraigned and charged with four counts of first degree murder. Okay. He pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. Of course mm-hmm. he does. And the very same day, psychologists test him at an average to actually above average IQ and cognitive ability. So he's fine. He's sane. They think basically uh-huh. he's just been through so much of abuse that he's acting out fantasies of wanting to kill his mom. Okay. It's like a, you know, yeah. psycho thing. Mm-hmm. So he's also diagnosed with antisocial personal personality behavior and they talk about his sadism and still mm-hmm. talk about schizophrenia. But um, June 27th, Jerry goes to court and instead of four counts, it goes to three because linda's slauson's body was never recovered oh so it was they just can't the pictures the don't one matter with the foot, the foot's mm-hmm. not gonna... it didn't matter yeah. yeah okay so the same day he decided to plead guilty instead and he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences mm. with the possibility of parole which is really <laughs> weird that is weird and now in a twist a neighbor implicates darcy what like she had something to do with it they said that they saw her and him moving a body in the evening She's arranged on August, arranged, arraigned (laughs) on August 7th and charged with aiding and abetting in the murder of Karen because that's when the timeline fits. Oh, okay. So she testifies a month later and she's found not guilty. It's just nonsense. I'm like, could you imagine if like. uh, I think she was actually helping him move something like a rug. (laughs) Okay. So she's found not guilty. And the very next year, August 1970, you know, Jerome is in prison yeah you know 1970 she finally divorced his him i don't know why it took so long it took a year yeah bless her heart she changes her name she changes the kid's name oh wow okay so jason it's uh who knows and she moves they have a no contact jerome is not allowed to try to talk to his children so good for her Uh, yeah he tries to appeal all the way up until 1977 but it constantly falls through Mm -hmm. his reasoning for appeals (laughs) The pictures of the dead girls weren't the ones I killed. What? Those are other bodies. Those are other people. So, like, what? oh, I got it from a friend. No, I have no like, idea. Uh, His reasoning was ridiculous. It that always was, is. Mm-hmm. I saw the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, so they don't. They don't grant his appeals, and yeah. he's allowed no more. We're moving all the way to ninety-five. There's nothing going on. He has a hard time in prison. Who would have thought? Yeah. You good. Know? Yep, he has quite a hard time, and the craziest part is he has stacks and stacks of women's shoe catalogs in his prison cell. Ew, you would think that would be, like, the one thing, like, I'm sorry. That's you your thing. You can't that. have that. There are rules like that now, I think, yeah. but back, I don't, not back then, the but 90s? he had been doing it. Yeah, he would write to these catalog companies and tell them the truth. He what? told them, I'm in prison, and I need these for pornography, and they oh. felt bad. And Ew, so, I'm and sorry. they would send. I know. Can you believe that? That's so. He goes up for parole again, and it is 1995. Okay. The parole board tells Brutos, which I think this had never been done in history. He is literally banned from ever being paroled. Good. They're like, no matter what you three do, three life sentences. Isn't he like but in his seventies? They're letting or him. Or they let him. Keep coming up. Like, you can still come talk to oh, us every two years, to, like... but it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that, you know, that, how did that work out? I don't know why they even bothered. Maybe so that he could still talk. But yeah. Why waste the time? Exactly. That's ridiculous. August 20th, 2005. Mm-hmm. He's in front of the parole board again. For what point? And 
during these meetings, they ask the criminals, um, do you feel sorry? Are you remorseful? Mm -hmm. Have you changed? What have you learned? Why did you do it? Um, It's to just gauge if they care, you know. Mm -hmm. And he tells them that this parole hearing isn't the place to talk about it because it's just going to get out. And Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He wants to leave in the past. He knows he's not going to get out. I'm not going to tell you what you want. Uh So they leave it at that. And it is so crazy to me because in his time in prison, he managed to get an associates of science degree, (laughs) a bachelor's in counseling. What? I'm sorry. I don't want some psycho. And at this point in 2005, he was getting his master's in counseling as well. What? He was working on it. Yeah. And That's, I'm sorry. But I know. Like, why? Tax, why? You're there forever. I, I don't you know. You are never going to use a I degree. I never understood that either. Maybe so, to boost his like ego. Like yeah. I've got a master's mm-hmm. and I've got, you know. Luckily in prison, he suffered pretty good. He mm-hmm. ended up getting colon cancer mm. and he had only one year of recovery from colon cancer. And um, in March 28th, he thankfully died. Of liver cancer. Oh, okay. And he had the record as the longest incarcerated person in Oregon history. Wow. Now, he didn't give a lot of interviews. You know, he didn't Uh want to talk about it. He didn't care. So there's really not a lot. But Mm -hmm. in a couple, he gave um, the first one when he really was in depth after his confessions. Marion County Detective Jim Burns asked him if he felt remorse for those women at all. And Jerry looked at a piece of paper on the desk. He picked it up. He crumpled it and he threw it on the floor. And he said, and I quote, I care about those girls as much as I care about that piece of watered up paper. (gasps) Oh, he's a monster. In another interview he did that was very short with uh, he was it's a like a daytime interviewer named Lars Larson. Mm -hmm. He asked him why he did it. And the only response that. Jerome Brudos gave. He laughed. He smiled. And he said it was a slow Saturday night. Oh, my God. And that is that. And it's so gross and sad. Whoa. And it is really unfortunate. Yeah. I, my tummy hurts. <laughs> it's really it's like, gross that, and sad. It really is. Wow. And, I mean, you feel bad for the child that you know it's that nature versus nurture it's Mm, for sure it's his childhood sucked there's no denying that but you know and maybe it did create the person that he became Mm. but at the Mm -hmm. same time i just think like that is a little extreme there's a lot of people that can have a really you know shitty childhood yeah and they don't turn into that exactly so it's like even a tiny version of that they don't come out with aggression or rage it's no the opposite yeah it's like i don't want to fight i don't want to do anything i'm just not gonna i'm gonna completely retreat yeah wow it's very hard i'm sure his parents did not help but he made choices Mm -hmm. and even as a 16 17 year old brain it's like you're gonna steal a bra or panty that's gross because you're gonna be a little dirty pervert Mm -hmm. 
But when we're talking peeping and stealing and assaulting, and assaulting. as a 17, you yeah. know that. Come on. That's not the same exactly. as like, oh, I'm going to jump off this bridge in the water and be dumb. That's mm-hmm. completely a choice to His harm impulses someone. were he a little different. Wanted he wanted to. He made a plan and he yeah. did it. Wow. Yeah. As he, a child. It was premeditated. Mm-hmm. That attack on her. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well. Oh, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. That was intense. If someone st- tells you to stay out of the room no matter what, leave. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If you're not allowed I'm in your sorry. own home. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> if if Jack was weird. like, you can't come in the garage ever, ever again. Ever. I'd be like, um, this is my house too. I'm going mm-hmm. to my garage. You know, wow. Because we don't have, you know, basements in California. Oh, so. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are some, I think, but not that no. many. That'd be the first place to get crushed in an earthquake. That's where it caves Seriously. in. So, well, <sighs> I'm so sweaty. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that was it's like a, stressful. Uh, yeah, and that was a lot. I was holding my breath a lot, and I think I, <laughs> yeah, my, like I said, my stomach hurts. That was very intense. But, yeah. anyways, with that, stay crafty and not crimey. Bye. Bye.